0: Thanks, Ella. Uh, Meals and memories often go together, don't they? We were at a wedding last night, conducted a a wedding out on the Sydney Harbour for Dave and Nina Faust. It was a great time. And uh, uh, meals and memories often go together like that. Now, for them, the the food that was there was was cocktail-style food, Uh, lots of different types of food coming out bit by bit. Uh, But it made me think of my own wedding and what the food was. And to be honest with you, I can't remember. And I can't remember because I was distracted at the time. Uh, I don't know why, but I was distracted at the time by everything that was going on. That's sometimes how it can happen too, isn't it? Important events can sometimes take away uh, the the meal and the fact that you can remember it. Uh, Whatever the meal is, some are memorable and some are not. And as you know, over the years, I have used this metaphor of meals as a way of describing the teaching of God's word. Each week, we receive a meal from God's Word. Each week, we gather to sit under God's Word and be fed by God's Word. Not always by me, but by others as well. And through this feeding that we have together, sometimes they're wonderfully memorable, and other times it's sausages and mash and peas that you don't remember of a Wednesday night two weeks ago. But it's done us good. It's done as good as we've sat under God's word, fed week by week, energized by what the word of God gives to us in the message of Jesus. And we've journeyed together through all sorts of books of the Bible, some known to us and some unknown to us. It's been a bit of a challenge for me to make sure that those white pages that you have in your Bible, often in the Old Testament, become a little dirty because they've actually been uh, uh, pulled apart once. (laughs) We've even preached the book of Nahum. In this church, who would have thought? <laughs> Known and un- unknown passages have been brought to us throughout the years. And I've got to say, it's been my greatest privilege to be able to do that. To bring you God's Word week by week by week and to share with you the God breathed Word that He has given to us. Now, of course, every part of God's Word is breathed out by Him. And profitable for us all every single part of it even the book of Nahum and yet there are some points and parts of the Bible that stand out aren't they? stand out for us as passages of significance and John 17 is one of those and it's great for us to be able to finish here today in this chapter of ministry for me and for our church together because here Jesus finishes His upper room chat with the disciples by praying for us. Now, of course, as we've said, all scripture is God breathed, but this passage has held great significance for lots of people throughout the years. It was said that the great reformer John Knox had this read to him a couple of times a day while he was on his deathbed. It was described that another reformer had written 45 sermons about this one chapter. Now, there's a sermon series for you. (laughs) Might line it up for next year. See how you go. But what we've got here is for our uh, a prayer, for our comfort, for our encouragement and for unity <coughs> in the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. Then we're going to have a look together at God's word in John 17. Please make sure you've got it open in front of you, as we've always said, uh, as we make sure that what we're saying today is from God's word. Uh, no question time today. I'm going to uh, skip that today. Uh, so uh, no slido.com and all that stuff as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Please teach us today uh, as you continue to do. Feed us as you promised to do by your word. Please help me to speak clearly in a way that makes sense and it's interesting to listen to. Please give us wisdom to put it into practice in our lives as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've mentioned over these last five weeks, Jesus has been sitting in the upper room with his disciples, most likely some sort of humid room. With lots of tension rising in the air. They were sitting with him just as Jesus was about to go to the cross, although they didn't quite know that at this point in time. But what they did know are the really poignant words that we find at the end of chapter 16. You notice what Jesus said last week at the end of chapter 16? Take heart, I have overcome the world these words would have been ringing in their ears whether or not the disciples understood them we by the Holy Spirit as we've seen over recent weeks can understand this today these significant words that Jesus has overcome the world and so the disciples and ourselves should take heart what would you expect Jesus to say next to give the, the running orders into the world well now after these These words of power at the end of chapter 16, Jesus turns now to pray. And he prays in that room, in the upper room, two prayer points that we'll look at this morning. One, for his own glorification. And two, he prays for us. First of all, his glorification. Look at verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you we can get a bit confused when we, when we read the bible sometimes we, the hour has come I and mean, we start looking at our watches and thinking about the 60 minute intervals but it's not about that Jesus is saying the time has come the time has come for him to be handed over and killed in other words he's saying the whole of my life has led up to this moment the time has finally come. And so what might Jesus ask of the Father in prayer when it comes to this moment? Well, it's striking, isn't it? Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, glory is one of those hard concepts to grab, isn't it, in the Bible? It's kind of hard to get our hands around and understand what it actually means but the idea of glory is something like this when something in our world is shown off as being fantastic that is glory or when something that is clearly superior is declared to be so in the world that is glory and so glory is a weighty word a big word a strong word a word with great significance And Jesus says the time has come. We know he's going to the cross. But he says here that as he does, he will glorify the Father and the the Son. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. See, we often think, don't we, and rightly so, of Jesus' love for us. So we should. Sing that kid's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, and all the rest of it. We know from the Bible that we're worth more than many sparrows. He knows all the hairs on our head for, not maybe Matt and I, but anyway, most of us, the hairs on our head. Now, all of this is true. God cares for us deeply and loves us. But I want to say to you that for our good, there is something better than even this. See, the primary reason Jesus came to earth came to this hour that he's praying about here is to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son. It's not untrue that God loves us. It's not untrue that God cares for us. It's not untrue that He takes a deep interest in our lives. But the primary thing that is going on in the history of the world is the glorification of the Father and the Son. See, in the in the world we live in, meology is easy. Putting me at the center of the picture of the world. Putting me at the center of the picture of what God is doing in this world. But as followers of the Lord Jesus, we don't believe in meology, we believe in theology. The study of God. And this is harder because it doesn't always make sense. And this is a case in point that Jesus would come to the earth with the express mission of dying, but to glorify the Father and the Son? That this would be the goal of the world and the universe doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. Where am I in that story? Because we like like that idea of God as our therapist, don't we? Help us, God. Serve us, God. Answer our prayers, God. Do what we would like you to do. And for the most part, this is how God acts towards us. Lovingly, graciously, truthfully, but we need to see from this passage that it's not the goal of God. It's not why the hour has come. And yet, the good news out of all of this is that we are included in this great and grand story. We've just got to get it in the right order. The grand glory of the Father and the Son will be shown As he gives eternal life, verse two, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In giving eternal life, in giving himself to the cross for this purpose, he will glorify the father and the son. We are included in this plan of God to glorify himself through sending Jesus to die on that cross for each and every one of us. And we see in verse 3 that to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. Now this is of course not mere knowledge. Lots of people know about God or know about Jesus. But this is the type of knowledge that that a family member has one for another. That sort of love, that sort of knowledge, that sort of intimacy that a family member has for one another. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know what this means for us? If you know and love the Lord Jesus, you're not waiting for eternal life. You have it. Your old life has gone and finished and your new and eternal life has started already. You're not waiting for it to come. And death... Well, it's just a little speed hump where you get a new body on the other side and keep going in the eternal life that you already have. And what this means for us is is that if the world really is about the glory of the Father and the Son and it is about the Father and the Son giving eternal life to whom they choose, then what is it that we strive for in our life? Is it our own agenda or the agenda of God? We've always said it's the agenda of God here, haven't we, in this place? We want to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. To show people eternal life, that they might know the eternal life in Christ and grow in the eternal life that comes in Christ. This is the glory of God. And it's our job to keep getting it in the right order. God is about his own glory. And God is glorified when we are drawn to him drawn to the Lord Jesus and grow in knowledge of him and enjoy the eternal life that we've been given. Jesus prays for his own glorification here. The same glory that he had at the beginning. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What a fantastic prayer. That the Son who was around before the world existed And was glorious then and is glorious now has caught us up into his grand plan for the world. Never forget this. Secondly, Jesus prays for, for us. I wonder, what would we do if Jesus were physically sitting here with us this morning? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that happened. I'd get down from here, that's for sure. Uh, and we'd just ask lots of questions, wouldn't we? There'd be slido.com all over the place. That's how we'd do it. Uh, and it'd just be a question-a-thon. At least that's what I would do. I'd sit down and ask him a whole range of questions. But what does Jesus do here for his disciples? What would he do if he were with us? I suspect he'd do this. He would pray for us. That's what he does here in verses 6 26, He prays for those in the room in verses 6 to 19. The disciples that are here with him. And then he prays for all the rest of us. Look at verse 20 of chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, the people in the room, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that's us, isn't it? Those who have believed on account of the word of the apostles. As we've seen over recent weeks. And what Jesus prays here for his followers is for protection and sanctification. As we've seen on the run through, there are words that are said to the men in the room that are on occasion specific to them in that room, but things from which we can draw lessons out for our own lives today. This is no less the case in the prayer that Jesus prays for those disciples in the room. The same prayer he prays for them, he can in part pray for us of protection and sanctification see I wonder if you've ever thought I wonder why when I got saved when I become uh, when I became a follower of the Lord Jesus why I didn't just get zapped out of the world It'd be good if it was like that wasn't it you know when you go to time zone or whatever it is do you go there still I'd still like to go to time zone but if you get into that claw machine and you know those claw machines with all the toys at the bottom Balaam won one the other day. He won a, a toy and then gave it away to some kid at a club somewhere. But he it, it picked one out and dropped it in the, in, the, uh, in the container at the bottom. And you wonder why. Why didn't God just sort of pick us up out of the world and then drop us into his world? Why didn't he zap us out of one world and, and into another straight away? Well, the answer is the same for us as it was for the first disciples. That we are to glorify God in the world. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Jesus prays to the Father and I am glorified in them. Jesus glorifies the Father by completing his task of going to the cross. The disciples and us glorify the Father and the Son as we complete our task in the world as chapter 14 verse 12 puts it, to do the greater works of bringing people to know the Lord Jesus and so verse 18 says of this passage as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world, yes Jesus sent the first disciples but he sends us into the world as well to glorify the Father, to glorify the Son by making disciples of Jesus. He sends us into that world. The world's a scary place sometimes, isn't it? And we can see all its faults and the way in which it seems to be walking away from the Lord Jesus. And sometimes, as a result... As followers of Jesus, our posture towards the world can be somewhat combative. And I can understand why. We can want to fight with the world. You need to be better. Or we can retreat from the world and we say, I don't want anything to do with you. But neither is the right approach. Because as verse 18 says, we have been sent into the world by the Son, And for sure. The world is a hostile place, as this upper room chat has already made clear. And it is a place that is against God, to be sure. That is what we are to expect. But this is the place that God has sent us, that Jesus has sent us. In order that he might be glorified, he has sent us into the world to bring the message of Jesus to the world. So that people might know him and have eternal life. Now, that's not to say, of course, that gathering of God's people, as the church, is, is unimportant. Of course, it's essential. This is where we come week after week to refuel. It's a refueling stop as we get together and do teamwork together, training one another and helping one another. This is not a holy huddle, but a, a place we come in to be refueled and head out again into the world in which we've been sent. And Jesus prays for his followers including us here, that we might go into this world and be sanctified. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As we walk into this world that we have been sent... We do not walk into the world as someone that has it all worked out. Yes, we've got the message of Jesus worked out. We know who Jesus is. We have come to know and receive eternal life. But we haven't got life all worked out. We make mistakes and errors all the time. But we go in as a people who are sanctified in the truth. Who are a work in progress with the focus on progress. We are making progress as we swim around in the Word of God. It took me a while, but I worked out a, a uh, sports analogy. Oh. <laughs> uh, many of you know I play cricket, and I uh, didn't didn't get to play yesterday, but I love to open the bowling for my team. Uh, but I'm 44 years of age and opening the bowling for my team is hard work, sometimes on the rest of the body. In fact, half of my team are about mid-40s in age group. And we reckon uh, that we should take out shares in Radox, actually, so that uh, we can go and have Radox baths every Saturday after cricket. uh, Because it takes us a full week to recover so that we're ready for... following week and we just think that if uh, we just sort of picture in our team sometimes that there's seven or eight other 40 year old uh, no hopers somewhere around this area all having Radox baths at the same time and we think there we are soaking in all the goodness of I don't even know what Radox does but let's say it does something good the share price will go up if I say that Uh, and, and it does something good for us and as we swim around in that it's going to affect us and help us and do us good and in the same way as we swim around in the word of God It will change us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. We will not be perfected this side of heaven, but we will go into this world, shining the light of Jesus more and more. Sometimes people say, in fact, I saw someone say this week online, if only Christians were more like Jesus, they would have a better effect in this world. And they said that to kind of have a go at us as followers of Jesus. Now, it's a fair critique. But we're works in progress. The word will change us over time. What's important is the progress, the trajectory, the direction we're going. As we go out into this world, we will make mistakes, but we come back to the word of God and we are sanctified by it so that we're more like Jesus day by day in the world in which we are headed into. Well, Jesus turns then to pray for the, uh, for the, for the church across the world. Look at verse 21 Here Jesus prays for the people of God in the future. For the church that includes us here today. And he prays, doesn't he, in these verses for for unity and oneness to be amongst us as God's people. We need to stop and think about this just a little bit, don't we? Because these sorts of passages trouble a lot of believers. And in lots of ways, they're a little misunderstood. We misunderstand understand sometimes the nature of unity and what it should look like. See, it's interesting, isn't it? As we look at these verses here, that unity, the unity that we are to have together is based on the unity of the Father and the Son. Now, it's striking, isn't it, Jesus? has already said throughout these passages that the Father and the Son are one. Over and over again, we see him say that through this upper room chat. But at the same time, he continues to describe them as the Father and the Son. There is a a deep unity, but also a distinction between the two. And what this shows us is, is that unity is at very least not uniformity. It's not the same in every way. The followers of Jesus are not to be exactly the same in every single way. But they are to have a unity of purpose. See, unity without the truth is not real unity. Today, in the world in which we live, we desire deeply, don't we, just to iron out every article of conflict we could possibly have. And so oftentimes, the church of God takes the lowest common denominator theology and puts it into practice and says, let's just not fight about anything. Let's just all get along. We've already seen in verse 17 that the truth is so important. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now unity doesn't come in the lowest common denominator theology that we can get. Unity comes instead in purpose, in truth, in the word of God, in the knowledge of Jesus that is eternal life. As we've already seen. What will glorify the Father and the Son is the truth about Jesus, which is eternal life, chapter 17, verse 3. This unity is a unity worth striving for. Unity in the truth, unity in purpose, as the Father has sent the Son, and so the Son sends us into this world. And my brothers and sisters, this is worth us thinking about just now. Transition times in life can be tough, can't they? They can be tough. They can take us off guard and things can happen in our life that we didn't really quite expect to happen. And we're in a transition time in our church family. By no means do I want to overplay my own role here, but it's true. This is the state that our church family is in at the moment. And it's worth us thinking about this in a transition time. You'll know, as some of you said on Friday night, that I like to plan things. That's what I like to do. It's a little bit of a hobby of mine. And sometimes when you look into the future... And you can see things coming. And you can see what the future might hold. And that might come with all sorts of weaknesses. Like if you look in the future, you might not be able to see today very well. But you can look into the future. And I can't help that even on the last day here that I can see some forward planning in my heart that I want to share with you in regards to this. You see, these transition times can become for us times when we are not unified. When we are not, as a church, in a season of unity and togetherness. But I don't want you to focus on the wrong things. Unity is not just a nice, warm feeling that we have. As we've already seen from this passage, unity is in purpose and in truth and in glorifying the Father and the Son. And so I want to encourage you in this season, as you too look ahead, To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace by doing this, do not lose the purpose of the gospel of Christ. There's no reason that this church ought to lose its purpose in this time at all. Our purpose is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus for the glory of God. Stick to that purpose, and you'll stick to your unity. But of course, like everything, we can get easily distracted. The church around the world, particularly in places like the United States, are getting distracted from the purpose of the gospel of Jesus by worrying so heavily about things like secondary matters, like politics and social issues and the worldliness that is all around us. Do not be distracted by these things, brothers and sisters. Do not lose your purpose to glorify God by pointing to Jesus who died on the cross to bring eternal life to all who would trust in him. And in the future, when there's an acting rector and a a new senior minister, don't get stuck on personalities or quirks, but stick to the purpose. Stick to the word of God that will sanctify each one of us, as I know our nominators will choose so wisely. Stick with the purpose. Stick with the truth. Stick with glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus. This is the main game. And if we stick to this, well, everything will be fine. Because this is the goal that Jesus is praying for us here. And this is what the church is all about. Well, finally, we see some heartfelt words by Jesus at the very end of this prayer. Verse 24. Just, just quickly, these words show us the heart of Jesus and his desire to be with his people. See, so your Saviour came to glorify the Father and the Son. This is of primary importance. But at the same time, you are not a number. You're not a faceless person. You're a person loved by the Lord Jesus, who, as it says in verse 25, longs to be with us. And yet he hasn't zapped us out of the world and pulled us out of the machine and into another one just yet. So here we are. Here we are waiting for the coming of our Saviour to take us to be with him. And in the meantime, he says to us, I've got greater works for you to do. Chapter 14, verse 12. I've given you the gift of my Holy Spirit. Chapter 14 and 15. So stay connected to the true vine, as he says in chapter 15. And glorify the Father and the Son as you show people the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life and grow in it yourself, sanctified in the word of truth. See, we've said over these 12 years, haven't we? We glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. And that's shorthand, isn't it, for what Jesus prays for us all here. May it always be the case amongst us as each day goes on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us here, Jesus' heartfelt prayer for us. We thank you that he makes so clear to us what the purpose of our life, our church family life together ought to be and should be, and we pray, please, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be reminded of what is important from this prayer of Jesus, So that we might be people who revel in the eternal life that's been given to us. That revel in the glory that is given to you, Heavenly Father, and the Son, as we get about the work that you've given to us to do. Please help us as a church family here to continue to be unified together in purpose and in truth. Uh, As your word says, your word is the truth. Sanctify us in this we ask. And Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you might keep our singular focus upon the Lord Jesus, who lovingly prayed for us here and continues to do so, and who who gave his life for us, catching us up into the great plan that you've got for the whole world. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this passage, for the way in which it speaks to us on all occasions, and particularly today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move straight in, friends, to a time of taking communion together.